Section number 26 of Glimpses of Bengal by Rabindranath Tagore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Patisar, 13th August 1893. Coming through these beals. Footnote 1. Translator's note. Sometimes a stream passing through the flat Bengal country encounters a stretch of low land and spreads out into a sheet of water called a beal of indefinite extent ranging from a large pool in the dry season to a shoreless expanse during the rains villages consisting of a cluster of huts built on mounds stand out here and there like islands and boats or round earthen vessels are the only means of getting about from village to village where the waters cover cultivated tracts the rice grows through often from considerable depths giving to the boats sailing over them the curious appearance of gliding over a cornfield so clear is the water elsewhere these beals have a peculiar flora and fauna water lilies and irises and various waterfowl as a result they resemble neither a marsh nor a lake but have a distinct character of their own End of footnote. to caligram an idea took shape in my mind not that the thought was new but sometimes old ideas strike one with new force the water loses its beauty when it ceases to be defined by banks and spreads out into a monotonous vagueness in the case of language metre serves for banks and gives form and beauty and character just as the banks give each river a distinct personality so does rhythm make each poem an individual creation prose is like the featureless impersonal wheel again the waters of the river have movement and progress those of the beel engulf the country by expanse alone so in order to give language power the narrow bondage of meter becomes necessary otherwise it spreads and spreads but cannot advance the country people call these beels dumb waters they have no language no self-expression the river ceaselessly babbles so the words of the poem sing they are not dumb words thus bondage creates beauty of form motion and music bounds make not only for beauty but power poetry gives itself up to the control of meter not led by blind habit but because it thus finds the joy of motion there are foolish persons who think that meter is a species of verbal gymnastics or legerdemain of which the object is to win the admiration of the crowd that is not so meter is born as all beauty is born the universe through the current set up within well-defined bounds gives metrical verse power to move the minds of men as vague and indefinite prose cannot this idea became clear to me as i glided on from river to beale and beale to river patisar twenty sixth stravin august eighteen ninety three for some time it has struck me that man is a rough hewn and woman a finished product there is an unbroken consistency in the manners customs speech and adornment of women and the reason is that for ages nature has assigned to her the same definite role and has been adapting her to it no cataclysm no political revolution no alteration of social ideal has yet diverted women from her particular functions nor destroyed their interrelations she has loved tended and caressed and done nothing else and the exquisite skill which she has acquired in these permeates all her being and doing her disposition and action have become inseparably one like the flower and its scent 
she has therefore no doubts or hesitations but the character of man has still many hollows and protuberances each of the varied circumstances and forces which have contributed to his making has left its mark upon him that is why the features of one will display an indefinite spread of forehead of another an irresponsible prominence of nose of a third an unaccountable hardness about the jaws had man but the benefit of continuity and uniformity of purpose nature must have succeeded in elaborating a definite mould for him enabling him to function simply and naturally without such strenuous effort he would not have so complicated a code of behaviour and he would be less liable to deviate from the normal when disturbed by outside influences woman was cast in the mould of mother man has no such primal design to go by and that is why he has been unable to rise to an equal perfection of beauty patisar nineteenth february eighteen ninety four we have two elephants which come to graze on this bank of the river they greatly interest me they give the ground a few taps with one foot and then taking hold of the grass with the end of their trunks wrench off an enormous piece of turf roots soil and all this they go on swinging till all the earth leaves the roots they then put it into their mouths and eat it up sometimes the whim takes them to drop the dust into their trunks and then with a snort they squirt it all over their bodies this is their elephantine toilet i love to look on these overgrown beasts with their wasp bodies their immense strength their ungainly proportions their docile harmlessness their very size and clumsiness makes me feel like a kind of tenderness for them their unwieldy bulk has something infantile about it moreover they have large hearts when they get wild they are furious but when they calm down they are peace itself the uncouthness which goes with bigness does not repel it rather attracts patty sir twenty seven february eighteen ninety four the skies every now and then overcast and again clears up sudden little puffs of wind make the boat lazily creak and groan in all its seams thus the day wears on it is now past one o'clock steeped in this countryside noonday with its different sounds the quacking of ducks the swirl of passing boats bathers splashing the clothes they wash the distant shouts from drovers taking cattle across the ford it is difficult even to imagine their chair and table monotonously dismal routine life of calcutta calcutta is as ponderously proper as a garment office each of its days comes forth like coin from a mint clear-cut and glittering ah those dreary deadly days so precisely equal in weight so decently respectable here i am quit of the demands of my circle and do not feel like a wound-up machine each day is my own and with leisure in my thoughts i walk the fields unfettered by bounds of space or time the evening gradually deepens over earth and sky and water as with bowed head i stroll along patty sir twenty second march eighteen ninety four as i was sitting at the window of the boat looking out on the river i saw all of a sudden an odd-looking bird making its way through the water to the opposite bank followed by a great commotion i found it was a domestic fowl which had managed to escape impending doom in the galley by jumping overboard and was now trying frantically to win across it had almost gained the bank when the clutches of its relentless pursuers closed on it and it was brought back in triumph gripped by the neck i told the cook i would not have any meat for dinner i really must give up animal food 
we manage to swallow flesh only because we do not think of the cruel and sinful thing we do there are many crimes which are the creation of man himself the wrongfulness of which is put down to their divergence from habit custom or tradition but cruelty is not of these it is a fundamental sin and admits of no argument or nice distinctions if only we do not allow our heart to grow callous its protest against cruelty is always clearly heard and yet we go on perpetrating cruelties easily merrily all of us in fact anyone who does not join in is dubbed a crank how artificial is our apprehension of sin i feel that the highest commandment is that of sympathy for all sentient beings love is the foundation for all religion the other day i read in one of the english papers that fifty thousand pounds of animal carcasses had been sent to some army station in africa but the meat being found to have gone bad on arrival the consignment was returned and was eventually auctioned off for a few pounds at portsmouth what a shocking waste of life what callousness to its true worth how many living creatures are sacrificed only to grace the dishes at a dinner party a large proportion of which will leave the table untouched so long as we are unconscious of our cruelty we may not be to blame but if after our pity is aroused we persist in throttling our feelings simply in order to join others in their preying upon life we insult all that is good in us i have decided to try vegetarian diet pariser twenty eighth march eighteen ninety four it is getting rather warm here but i do not mind the heat of the sun much the heated wind whistles on its way now and then pauses in a whirl then dances away twirling its skirt of dust and sand and dry leaves and twigs this morning however it was quite cold almost like a cold weather morning in fact i did not feel over enthusiastic for my bath it is so difficult to account for what veritably happens in this big thing called nature some obscure cause turns up in some unknown corner and all of a sudden things look completely different the mind of man works in just the same mysterious fashion as outside nature so it struck me yesterday a wondrous alchemy is being wrought in artery vein and nerve in brain and marrow the blood stream rushes on the nerve strings vibrate the heart muscles rises and falls and the seasons in man's being change from one to another what kind of breezes will blow next when and from what quarter of that we know nothing one day i am sure i shall get along splendidly i feel strong enough to leap over all the obstructing sorrows and trials of the world and as if i had a printed program for the rest of my life tucked safely away in my pocket i am at ease the next day there is a nasty wind sprung up from some unknown inferno the aspect of the sky is threatening and i begin to doubt whether i shall ever weather the storm merely because something has gone wrong in some blood vessel or nerve fibre all my strength and intelligence seem to fail me this mystery within frightens me it makes me diffident about talking of what i shall or shall not do why was this tacked on to me this immense mystery which i can neither understand nor control i know not where it may lead me or i lead it i cannot see what is happening nor am i consulted about what is going to happen and yet i have to keep up an appearance of mastery and pretend to be the doer i feel like a living pianoforte with a vast complication of machinery and wires inside but with no means of telling who the player is and with only a guess as to why the player plays at all i can only know what is being played whether the mode is merry or moonful when the notes are sharp or flat the tune in or out of time the key high-pitched or low 
But do I really know even that? Patisar, 30th March, 1894 Sometimes when I realize that life's journey is long and that the sorrows to be encountered are many and inevitable, a supreme effort is required to keep up my strength of mind. Some evenings, as I sit alone, staring at the flame of the lamp on the table, I vow I will live as a brave man should, unmoved, silent, uncomplaining. The resolve puffs me up, and for the moment I mistake myself for a very, very brave person indeed. But as soon as the thorns in the road worry my feet, I write and begin to feel serious misgivings as to the future. The path of life again seems long, and my strength inadequate. But this last conclusion cannot be the true one, for it is these petty thorns which are the most difficult to bear. The household of the mine is a thrifty one, and only so much is spent as is necessary. There is no squandering on trifles, and its wealth of strength is saved up with miserly strictness to meet the really big calamities. So any amount of weeping and wailing over the lesser griefs fails to evoke a charitable response. But when sorrow is deepest, there is no stint of effort. Then the surface crust is pierced, and consolation wells up, and all the forces of patience and courage are banded together to do their duty. Thus great suffering brings with it the power of great endurance. One side of man's nature has the desire for pleasure. There is another side which desires self-sacrifice. When the former meets with disappointment, the latter gains strength, and on its thus finding fuller scope a grand enthusiasm fills the soul. So while we are coverts before petty troubles, great sorrows make us brave by rousing our truer manhood. And in these, therefore, there is a joy. It is not an empty paradox to say that there is joy in sorrow, just as, on the other hand, it is true that there is a dissatisfaction in pleasure. It is not difficult to understand why this should be so. End of section 26